You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends. Welcome to the eighth chapter of The Bookstack. I'm Sydney. I'm Nia. And I'm Annie. The idea of a perfect society has been sought over and over throughout history. The Puritans and the Quakers both came to America to make their own utopian societies. The idea of a perfect society has also been a part of literature, and we can trace these ideas clear back to ancient Greece, to the philosopher Plato and his most famous text, The Republic. Utopia, as a term, was first put into current context with the book Utopia, written in Latin by Thomas More in 1516, promoting an ideal society. More didn't actually believe that a utopia was possible. When you dive into this novel, you find that the whole book is sociopolitical satire, with More claiming the unattainability of a true utopia. Dystopian fiction, as a genre, follows in the footsteps of Thomas More's Utopia and has become increasingly more popular since the 1980s. Authors warning us of possible futures based on today's choices have only continued gaining steam. We complain about our world and how we could fix it, but dystopian genre authors show us how those fixes could actually make things worse. Dystopian novels gained popularity in the later part of the 20th century and made titles like 1984, Brave New World, Handmaid's Tale, and Fahrenheit 451 household names. They are intended to reveal the ugly underbelly of these supposed utopias and gained additional notoriety from conservative groups attempting to ban them from schools or libraries or outright holding book burnings to try to get rid of them, providing all the more reason to read them and prevent futures like these dystopian ones from being allowed to take place. Today, we take a look at some of our favorite books that shine a light on seemingly perfect societies to reveal the cracks hidden beneath the perfect facade. Nia, what's in your stack of dystopian novels? My first book in my stack is The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. It was published in 1895. So Ooh, we're you're going, going all back. the way back. Yep. So all this the is way like... back to the beginning. Probably, <laughs> in, you know, original dystopian. It's original for a lot of reasons. It's probably considered to be the first time machine story as well. Um, oh, undoubtedly. I'm a big H.G. Wells fan, which is why I picked this up in the first place. I, have I like H.G. Of... Wells also. Yeah. Yes. Big fan. I have a copy of the original broadcast from 1953, War of the Worlds. That, that caused was all of that problem. Didn't that whole thing. people believe that that was actually happening? Like they didn't realize it was a fictional radio yes. broadcast. Maybe, yeah. maybe it caused not. it caused like some panic, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, I think it did. I don't know if it was as widespread as people say it was, but if you yeah. listen to it and you so it's been that exacerbated. Intro, uh. Yeah, there's been some talk about whether or not that was actually a ploy by the newspaper to get people to read headlines or what actually happened there. <laughs> yeah, I could. Well, either way, that. it's just is fascinating. So with the time machine, there's a lot going on with this one. It's again, for being classic, you've got some really overarching themes that you kind of see coming into the late into the genre later. You've got the aspects of the LOI and the Morlocks, which are two completely different peoples, which is where we have evolved to, you know, hundreds of thousands of years from now, you've got, they're very peaceful. They live above ground. They live high up and then you have the Morlocks that are from dark underground and they come up and they're violent and they're all of these, you know, dark tendencies of humanity of what we have become. If you're more into more current stuff, think dark crystal. That's a good analogy. Yeah. That actually, as soon as crystal. you explained that. Oh, yep. You've, you've never seen Jim Henson's dark crystal. Okay. okay. That's not that recent. No. <laughs> No, because you said think more recently, and I thought, okay, well, this is going to be like the 2010s. Well, compared like to the 1950s, compared to 1895, <laughs> but you also have Netflix that have has revived the Dark Crystal and done I do know what the, the origin Dark story. Crystal is for everyone okay. who wants to know. I, okay, I do you know okay. what that is? Okay, 
that was I a little heart stopping. I feel better now. Okay. So that's, <laughs> you have that, you have that dystopian, like this is what the world has come to. It's almost the other end of it of we, we went from, you have the ideal up here, but really the reality is it's the literal underbelly that comes up and attacks the utopian from the top. That's my first one. This is a little bit of a slog because it is from 1895. It is a little more like formal as opposed to we've, we've loosened up a lot in literature. The language is a lot less formal and a lot less yes. wordy, I want to say. Was yeah, that so this... one published as a novel or a serial? Do you know when it was originally actually, published? I think it was a novel. Yeah. I do think it was a novel. When I read the but, older yeah. books, sometimes I get caught up on, oh, that's right. This was published as a serial. And so it's meant to have cliffhangers at the end of the chapter, which right. we don't see anymore. So that's why I ask. Yeah, I don't think so. It could have been, but I don't think it was. So, but that was the first one in my stack. The second one is the Hunger Games. Very popular. There's been always going to be on this list. You know? Always. Oh yeah. 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 I kind of feel like Hunger Games and a few others that came out around this time really like rush the dystopian genre back into everyone's main main focus yes. Yes. because it's 100%. a YA book it is easier to read than say the time machine and <laughs> you have a lot more identifiable characters you can pull into that came out in 2008 which does not feel like it was that long ago um <laughs> oh um <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know it doesn't feel like it was that oh. long ago but I didn't okay. have any children yeah, it was wait like, that's that's Annie pre-children. Wow. I know. I didn't either. Oh, wait. I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> Everything yeah. is PC for me. <laughs> well, the, the timing for this one, I think also is really interesting too, because it came out in 2008. We had that giant recession in 2008. We did. So I think it, right. it really unintentionally managed to strike a chord that they could not <laughs> have actually predicted. So that could probably be part of the driving force for this one too. And probably why it stuck with me because I read it around that time too. Yeah, yeah. But it's set in the ruins of the U.S. You have Panem, you have the capital and 12 districts. And each year the districts have to offer up two tributes for entertainment for the capital. You have a very big driving force behind a sister's love. You have Katniss volunteering in place for her sister because she was, her little sister was picked by lottery and her sister was little. She was only eight. So that's, I think she was eight. She was still really young as opposed to Katniss. Either way, she was young. Yeah. Yeah. Far too young to have to do this. 16 is far too young to do this. But the entire idea is whoever, whichever district wins in this mortal combat will be able to bestow their district with a bunch more boons and they'll be able to succeed faster, you know, better for the year. So you're trying to do this for everybody back home, but it's also really horrible because you're probably going to have to kill the other kid you're with. So that is pretty, oh, we've hit this point. You have all the riches and all of the comfort in the capital, but really the reality is it's pretty awful out there and it's a trilogy, but it's also an author we visited before in a previous chapter with a prequel book from your stack. It was, and it definitely is one that you want to read the prequel after you read the original trilogy. Really? I mean, that would make sense because there's probably a lot more alluded to the prequel that. Yes. uh, Yeah. I would not have read them in that order. I know, which is why I know that's publishing order, but I wouldn't have read it that way because the, because Hunger Games was the first in the series to be published, it sets up the world in a very specific way and it allows for you to kind of follow through what Katniss is going through. The prequel, because it's told from the antagonist's perspective, is very, oh, very right. different. It switches perspective. It so, does. Yeah. And because of that's that, right. it kind of, if you read the prequel first, I don't want to say it would jade your view of what was going on, but it would definitely distort it. 
And You'd I think be less that it, sympathetic. Yes. I think yeah. that, okay. you just, that it's definitely something to be read after. Maybe I'll try it again. Maybe I'll so read all the series and then try the prequel and try to get it done in a month. I bet you could do it. I bet I could. I bet you could too. These were, that was a pretty quick read. The The prequel is, is significantly larger than the original trilogy. It's like twice yeah, the I remember that. one of the book. That's why I gave up. <laughs> That's good to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so honestly was, it's yeah. it's really well written she's come into her own so it's worth reading but i can see and why you would pick this book for your dystopian stack mia because it's a fantastic example of dystopian literature so yeah, i taught this yeah. i remember hunger games i taught it instead of uh lord of the flies when i was doing my student teaching nice good is, that, call. is that a good call i i've never read lord i of think flies, so. so i didn't know uh, Lord of the Flies. I've taught Lord of the Flies. It's not bad. No, it's but not I feel bad. Like this what, in terms be... of teaching, this one's more captivating, and the kids yeah. like it because the movie that has been made of it isn't in black and white. That's true. That's and true. it seemed to follow the the film seemed to follow the books pretty well. The film follows the book very very well. My yeah. only issue, and I have this issue a lot with films film adaptations is that there were some parts of the book that just didn't translate well to the screen. Yeah. yeah. Specifically the animal, the hybrid animals, the mutant animals just didn't, they just didn't look right. And there were no pictures in the book. Just the descriptions did not match in the book. They were horrific. Some of them. And then on screen, they looked funny. They looked comical. Yeah. I feel that would have been a way to soften it. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I feel like we could go into like the whole we we could have just oh, yes. a whole we could, we could have a whole chapter it. just mm-hmm. on diving into oh, yeah. it and maybe we, we will let us know if that's something <laughs> you want to hear about definitely so that's the second one in my stack the last one is called Blackfish City it's by Sam J Miller came out in 2018 I was given this book and went I need another dystopian book I am most of the way through the audiobook that's how I get through books these days I am just I really want to finish this book is so well written nice. of the three. It's my favorite um, oh. from my stack today. So, so it is. why set... did you pick this one up? My cousin gave it to me. Okay. She just gave me a stack of books and I was flipping through and went, this one looks really good. So I'm almost, like I said, almost the way through it. It's it's killing me. I'm not done with this book yet because it's so, so good. It is a little slow to get started. Just keep that in mind. It has, so what happens is you have each chapter is from a different main character's perspective and so that is a really slow way it's a it's a slow burn to build that is a slow burn but once you start having all the characters start to meet and how they're connected pulled in together it is so good and then it doesn't go fast enough aha okay you want to know what happens next so it's set after major climate wars where you have you know a lot of the polar ice has melted and a lot of the major cities have flooded and you have all of this you know country collapse everywhere i will say there are a couple trigger warnings especially with what's going on globally there is talk about some brutality from russia in here just a little bit which because it came out before what's happening now it's still so just keep that in mind and there are also talks of pandemics as well so if that's a little sensitive for you right now but it came out in 2018 it was just it was just premonition yeah it was oh so yeah so keep that in mind if you're if you're feeling a little sensitive about those don't pick up this book pick it up later pick it up when you're feeling a little better about it but uh it it focuses around a city that is been built as a floating city set in the arctic circle and that is where they've been able to do geothermal heating and energy and they've you know 
a bunch of major countries were able to put this little outpost up there to help people survive. But there is also a new disease that is ravaging people called the breaks. And it's very psychological. Oh, so that is something that comes up fairly early on in the book. So there's no spoiler there. But the beginning of the book, it is called Blackfish City. And the very first chapter talks about when this woman arrives riding an orca with a polar bear. And the polar bear has cages on its paws and on its head. She's riding an orca? She's riding the orca. They call is her that orca typical mancer. for this world? So... <laughs> Because it sounds amazing. Sort of. What you have is you start hearing about when things started to break down in the US and you had a lot of different labs were trying to develop technology to combat all of these different diseases and all of these different problems. They created nanites. Oh, that were creating empathetic bonds between people and perhaps some unethical testing involved. And then it didn't (laughs) stay with people. You you started to bond with animals. So you have a little bit of that golden compass feel coming in. Uh That's what I was created by science. So it doesn't come out as being completely random. And there's a lot of talk there too of how, yeah, it, it weaves in and I don't want to give too much more of the plot away. But a lot of what they talk about is you have a lot of the climate issues, you have a lot of the technological issues, you have a lot of the people issues with people that have all come into this to create this world. And oh, it's so good, but it's very dystopian because it's, I could actually see us being here in a hundred years. Yeah, absolutely. It is not that far out of my periphery because of the background that he has brought in and the, the stuff that he has talked about. But you also have that little bit of hope of here's people who are willing to do the right thing. So right. cool. I don't know how it's going to end. I hope it doesn't end Stay too tuned. badly. Yeah. Tell us please at the, you know, um, someday. And, <laughs> and if it's something you're looking for, there's a, it's a very diverse, inclusive character group. It is not nice. all a bunch of white, straight people. Hey. So yeah. It's always it is, nice to it, see. Yes. So it's, it's yeah. Hi, oh, this, one's, this one's my favorite of the three out of the stack. I could talk about <laughs> it all day, but I won't. So those are the three from, from my stack. Sydney, what do you have today? I am very excited about this stack because dystopia is one of my two jams. Well, one of my three. Okay. I have a lot of jams, but this is like, <laughs> you're a book a person. <laughs> We have lots of jams. It's just, it's what we are. Some are jam, some are jelly, some are peanut butter to kind of stick in between. Like, (laughs) mm, the point is, I love dystopian. (laughs) The first book I picked today, the first book in my stack is Divergent by Veronica Roth. It was published in 2011 and I was really drawn in by the cover and the five factions and the seemingly perfect world where everyone fits in based on their interests. You have the I do love the cover of Divergent. It is. Isn't it gorgeous? It, really it is, is really pretty. Yeah. It is so captivating. Yeah. But you have the abnegation, the erudite, the dauntless, the candor, and the amity factions. And they seem to work well to make this interesting society where everyone had a place. Triss, the main character, was a fun character to follow. And the love story between her and Four, because it's YA, and of course there's a love story. <laughs> Not only is there yeah. a love story, they have to work together, the parents are absent, it follows yeah. all the things. It, it All of the tropes. Mm-hmm. Every trope that there that could possibly exist is in it this It checks book. all of them. Check it checks that box all of them. And that box and, yep. yep. But it also wasn't super ridiculous, which I appreciated. Like, it didn't drive what she did. It was there and she was interested in him and he was interested in her, but it didn't, she it still didn't lived define her, life her personality. Yeah. Exactly. It, it no longer was who she was. So I really, I was fine with the, with the love story because it wasn't the predominant factor in the story. It just happened to exist 
as part of it. I really liked the unraveling of the perfect factions as the story unfolds and how the series of events played well off of one another. And it was this great book of how do you fit in when you were born to stand out or this idea of how do you fit into a society that doesn't really have a place for you? And these questions and ideas were so great that I devoured the first two books within a weekend shortly after they came out and then waited like it feels like everyone else in the world <laughs> with eager anticipation for the third. So dear friends, dear listeners, dear book nerds, if you have not yet read these two books or this series and you decide because of what I'm saying to read this series, stop after the second book, Insurgent. Just trust me, just stop. It's been so long since I read them, but I feel like I can agree with that. The third book, which is called The Legiant, uh-huh. ruins the world that she built, Veronica Roth. It ruins the, the world building she's made. She uh... I feel very much like she was trying to do a bunch of twists just for the sake of fan fiction being wrong. Like I think that she got upset at the fan fiction guessing what she was going to do so she tried to turn it on its head. Oh. The world building is is ruined. It ends with a very poorly written surprise conclusion that genuinely ruined the series to the point where when it was turned into a film series, they even avoided touching on that idea and stopped the third film before the events of the third book that ruins the series. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. They very much were like, we're not touching this. I didn't know that. I've only watched the first one. It That's probably good. I mean, the second one was fine. Yeah. But it feels like she had so much pressure on her to turn out this great book with a twist ending as the book became very popular shortly after its release that Veronica Roth, the author, just wrote something that no one could have predicted in their fan fiction. And I think she genuinely wanted to write something that people wouldn't guess and no one would ever guess this because it not only ruins the entire premise of the world she's built in the first two books, but the ending is genuinely poorly written. Like it's it's mm, a, it feels frustrating. like a high schooler slapped something together and got a C on a project. Like it was what? really poorly written when I see things like that when I read things like that I have to wonder what the publishing contract looked like I I don't know I especially books that came out of the late 2000s like 2008 2009 I wonder did you have to write a three book series because I really could have done without book two or book three yeah this was this was published in 2011 at the peak of this dystopian YA push where yeah. everything was a trilogy mm-hmm. and oh and yeah this came out on the heels of Hunger Games which yeah it did and she, such a big trilogy she just bombed it it was so bad when the arcs were sent out Veronica Roth the author had such negative reviews before the book was even published that I'm surprised the publisher went through with publishing it like the negative really? reviews on Goodreads and all over the other websites where people had gotten arcs and were asked to leave reviews were so bad that I am shocked that they decided to keep publishing it or insert or ask her to change it. See, People again, I have it. to wonder what the contract looked like. Yeah. Did she have, did they have to publish it or they would have been sued? There's so much more that goes into it than just, I felt like it or fans wanted it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But she intentionally did something, she intentionally did something that fans didn't predict. And I think she was trying to do it because fans couldn't predict it. She was just trying to throw the fan fiction off. I, in my opinion, that may or may not be correct, but people hated the third book. And despite her having written multiple books since then with interesting premises that would have caught my eye, And the covers were eye-catching and I 
started to start to look at it and be like, oh, what is, oh, it was written by Veronica Roth. I absolutely refuse to pick up anything by her. Really? That is her so first sad. two books were amazing. That's so sad. Divergent and Insurgent were incredible, incredible books. And I love them and I will fight for them. But the author. She made you has- angry. And that's okay. She, it was, it was like being in a bad relationship, like fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Like I, I don't trust her to not do that to me again. And so I am intentionally avoiding reading her books because I don't want to be hurt by her again. But her first two books are amazing. So if you, I, when my mother was reading the books, I had her stop after book two so that she, it wouldn't be ruined for her. And so if you read the series, just instead of treating it as a trilogy, treat it as a duology. It's a fantastic and it duology and just call it done. Just don't read Allegiant. Uh, just don't. That's so sad because I'm, yeah. man, because her other books do look so pretty oh, and I love I the premises. I know. I'll still read them. <laughs> I just won't tell you. I'm, well, if you do and they're great and you tell me, <laughs> then I'll be like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, like maybe I'll consider reading that one because Annie says that yeah. no, okay. she's not going to okay. hurt me with it. Oof. I wonder I how many people have just won't touch her stuff again because of that. I don't know. I'll avoid fanfic. Like that is so weird. In my opinion, I it's it's yeah. what I believe based on what I was looking at online and my own sure. internal opinions. That has that is not a verified fact. But yeah. because of what actually happens in the third book, yeah, and her quote unquote justification for how the whole arc of the trilogy is about self-sacrifice when it's not um well it's not that it's not there it's just very flimsy so and just the fact that the ending was written in a way that felt slapped together and it just didn't feel like any character building was done it's just not a well-written book gotcha they exist they do Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna put that rant away okay and i'm gonna go to i'm gonna go to the next book in my stack (laughs) which is the selection by kira cass this is published in 2012. It's also YA. It's still in that arc peak climax of dystopian YA. So I devoured these books. I devoured oh, yes. them. I oh, think yes. I stopped at what book four or five, but I, and I still devour them every time I read them. So Kira Cass put out an original trilogy and then she put out a second trilogy that follows the same storyline, but from a different character's perspective. That might the, be where I stopped. The first after the first three end. When I taught junior high, I recommended this book to kids frequently. I usually described it to kids as The Bachelor Meets Hunger Games. It's not quite that ruthless, but there are definitely some vicious things that girls do to try to get the prince to look at them and pick them as his princess. Sure. It is a story about one of the contestants named America. This story takes place in what is considered right now to be America, but it's no longer named America because that country has fallen and a new country has taken its place. And her parents name her America after this long lost country. But America has to vie for the heart of Prince Maxon, even though she's in love with someone else classic love triangle. This story is a great dystopian story because it plays off of the caste system and what would happen if everyone were forced into a hierarchy and only allowed to do jobs within that caste. It's a five book series. They're all really short reads. It's a cute coming of age love story that focuses more on America and her finding herself and who she wants to be more than the love story. It just is happening along the way as part of the premise or the plot, but it's not who, it doesn't define her character, which means that I still really enjoyed it and liked it. So I continue to offer this book to people mostly because the bachelor is still on yeah it is. and so for kids who don't like to read or adults who don't like to read i can say here you watch this show read this series because it follows all the same tropes that the show does 
I mean, it everything does. that happens in the show happens in the selection, just in a teenage, a little bit more vicious way. Yeah. It's like the pageantry of the Hunger Games meets yeah. The Bachelor. So it's not yeah, like yeah. fighting to the death, but it's the pageantry of the televised, mm. what I'm doing to cause drama and what I'm doing to cause people to want to root for me to win. Yep. Of the pageantry of, of the Hunger Games with the addition of The Bachelor, where there's a bunch of girls and the prince is trying to pick one. I also liked some of the friendships that developed Yeah, amongst the girls. I thought it was very genuine and well done. Yeah. I just, I like that even though it's about a love story, the love story is not what defines anyone no Mm-mm. but I, I agree I picked it for this stack specifically because of the look at caste systems and mm-hmm. what would happen if America devolved into a caste system society and it was a really interesting look at that world that this story and plot and love story and all of this other crap played part into but I was more focused on what would the world look like if that was really true yeah I can see that yeah my last book in my stack is called The City of Ember by Jean Dupro. It was published in 2003. There are four books in this series, though book three is actually a prequel. And it takes until the very end of the book before you see if your theory is right on how the book connects into the other three. Because it very much, you're reading this book and most of the way through, it's just this teenage girl in a summer of her life and you have no idea how it ties it. into any Got other it. part of City of Ember because it's like modern day and you're okay. like I don't I don't get it. Got it. If you're interested in the world of Ember, you can skip book 3 entirely and you will miss absolutely nothing. Okay. There's okay. one reference to the character in book 3. There's one reference to her in book 4 and that's it. So you could genuinely just skip book 3 altogether and be fine. I picked this book up because of the movie. I saw the movie in theaters. There was a movie? Yes. Oh, I had no idea. I loved the movie. When did the movie come out? 2007, I think. Hmm. Don't quote me on that. I mean, it was, it was 2000 something, Mm -hmm. but it was either right before I started teaching or shortly after. So it was. I had no idea. 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. I loved the movie. So I sought out the book and honestly, there are a few liberties that the movie takes that they do. Yeah. (laughs) Like making all of the animals and, and insects and creatures giant that what? made it so that, no yeah yep so it made it absolutely impossible to have a second film they changed up too much of it that there oh, there could never be a second film based on the second book there were too many liberties taken that even though the premise tried to stay the same if you have all of these giant animals when they're in the city underground when they come above ground you would have to there's just some continuity issues that would mm-hmm. make it impossible. But the book was great. I loved the book. <laughs> okay. I enjoyed I, I love the, the movie. book was great. <laughs> I love the movie because I saw it first and it's what drew sure. me into the book. And so I love them separately. I just they're, don't treat yeah. them as, I don't treat one as being the same as the other because they're not. They exist separately with similar characters. Yeah. It's okay. They just happen it's to okay. be in similar worlds with mm-hmm. similar character names. But the I book was great. Yeah. This yeah. book is children's lit so it's it's upper elementary ages but there is a well-woven implicit content that you'll only pick up as an adult so if you're interested in the series hearing that it's children's lit don't let it turn you away because i recommend this book to adults often on all the time because there are things in there that as adults you'll catch that kids will never pick up on. It follows Lina Mayfleet after she discovers a box in her house that came from when an ancestor of hers was mayor. The box opens and her little sister has started eating the paper inside. So she does her best to get it all back out of her sister's mouth. Her sister is like two. Oh, that makes sense. 
Yeah. And paste it all together. And she finds what seems to have been instructions. So her and her friend Dune start trying to solve this mystery, thinking that it'll save their beloved city, Ember, which is the only city of light where everything else is darkness because the generator is dying and the generator in the city powers everything. They have people that work in the plumbing areas and for the generator and all of these things where they know how to patch and repair it, but they don't understand how to make anything, which I think is a really great dystopian idea of what happens when you give someone something and you say, here, this is, this is going to save you for 200 years until the nuclear fallout's over or a thousand years or whatever. And they've been given something, but they don't know how to create something. So they only know how to, to use what they have and they can't create anything new. Dune keeps trying to figure out how electricity works and he can't find anything to teach him how electricity works, but he feels like if he could figure out how electricity works, he could fix the generator. Yeah. But all of these different things that are taking place and happening, the book has this implicit idea of making versus using and this idea of morality and poses the question of what morality is and what it looks like and what one might do or not do when morals of a or a prescribed religion isn't part of everyday life. You have this character, Lina Mayfleet, who is pondering these questions and it's not explicitly stated in the book for kids to pick up on it, but it's this idea of what do morals look like when you don't have a prescribed religion telling you what's right and what's wrong? And how do people respond when they aren't held to any kind of moral code? I find it intriguing. I find it interesting, which is why I recommend it to adults because kids that is aren't going to pick up on this. Yeah, kids aren't going to pick up on this. It's not, no. they're going to be focused on solving the mystery of what the instructions are for and how it's going to save the city. And they're going to be focused on other things, but I like it for a bunch of other the reasons this book is very well written it's creative and i think if anyone picks up this book they're going to find something that they enjoy the fact that you pick up on different things and what you think a child would pick on really shows that this should be taught in schools it should be given to children because kids have i mean you're looking at gt kids you're looking at kids who are below the reading level and this book if you use it with your children if you expose them to it would really capture anyone, like you said. Yeah. Some yeah. kids might pick up on the morality, some kids might not, and no one's missing any really important part of the story. Yeah. When I taught junior high, I actually tried to get this book approved for the curriculum, but it was already being taught in fourth grade. Oh. So I couldn't. And I, I was fine with that, knowing that they were still being taught it in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, I just, it's just a great, it's a great series. There are some additional moral quandaries that occur in the later books that adults will pick up on, kids not so much but it's just a fantastic well-written creative series and i just recommend it to everybody i i love this series annie what about you okay what books are in your stack so i kind of went in the same path that you did i have (laughs) a children's book i've got uh, an adult book and a ya book i tried to stay away from the titles that came out in the early 2000s because i feel like there were just so many so I tried were, to diversify a, a little of, bit. And I stuck you know, to I thought them. I could talk about Matched, but I don't really want to. I could talk about this one, but I don't really want to. So I chose the ones that I did. The first one that I chose is The Giver by Lois Lowry. This has been one of my favorite books for a really long time. Until this book. I love this I read book. The Art of Racing in the Rain. Then that became my, my favorite. But you taught this book? I used to teach this book in junior high, yeah. I thought it was seventh grade. To seventh grade. Okay. Yeah. So it was published in 1993 and I own both the classic book format and the graphic novel version. The graphic novel version was published in 2019. It contains the same text, uh, but was adapted by a different author by P. Craig Russell. So it's this 
it, it contains the entirety of the book, just added illustrations. That's cool. Uh, and I have both of them because one of my kids has dyslexia and I wanted to introduce some books to her bef- in picture format before she would see it in text, hoping that that would help kind of bridge the gap a little bit so she could imagine what she was seeing before she was being graded on her imagination. Yep. That's what happens at my house. Uh, so the movie adaptation was released in 2014. Did either of you see the film, The Giver? I did. No, that I own did? it. Yeah. You own it? What yeah. did you think? I didn't hate it. I just treat it as separate from the book. Much like City of Ember. Much like City of Ember or Ender's Game. Like yeah. there are just certain there are just certain films that they're great. They're just not the book. And you just have to pretend like they're separate. That's how I felt. And I think that's how a lot of people felt. Yeah. It came out, what, seven years ago, the film, eight yeah. years ago, and not very mm-hmm. many people talk about it anymore. It had a very good cast. Oh, and fantastic people, cast. Yeah, it had a fantastic cast and no one really talks about it. So I think people feel the way that you do that they're separate. Yeah. Same world, but separate. Yeah. So it's technically a series of four books, uh, but the books are very loosely related to each other. And I believe they could all stand alone as their own novels. I read all four of them trying to find the thread that connected them and I couldn't. I mean, I, granted, I, I got was bored with yeah, I did too. the second one. I, I did too. I couldn't, I couldn't even, I tried. I couldn't, I tried. I think the second one is about a tapestry and some yeah. threads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I gave up too. Yeah. And I do yarn things and I still couldn't handle it. <laughs> so the story follows a boy named Jonas as he gets his life assignment. So in this world, when you come of age, you are given your job for the rest of your life based on observations that the elders have done. They film everything for a couple of years and just watch everything and then give you an assignment. So his world begins as colorless and very controlled, but then his assignment is to be the receiver of memory, which is what you would assume he receives the memories. And these memories are part of what his community used to be. So he gets the memories of things that his community doesn't have anymore. And while he receives these memories, his world starts to open up. At the very beginning of the book, there's an apple that's thrown and it goes from being black and white to all of a sudden having red. There's a character who has red hair who you don't know until he starts receiving memories and starts to notice, oh, there might've been color in this world at some point. And so he then has to decide on his role within his community. Is he going to keep these memories and this information to himself and be the sole person who knows these things? Or is he going to upset the status quo and see what happens? So this is one of my favorite books of all time. I agree. Mostly because of how it's written. I think Lois Lowry does a really good job of allowing the reader to learn along with the character. Yeah. That the reader, as you're reading it, you don't realize that there's no color until all of a sudden there is. So whenever I read that part, I have to go back and find out when did the color show up and why, which I think is just, I mean, that's just good writing right there. Yeah, I agree. And then this, and the same goes with the weather and the emotions. All of these things are suppressed and then one day Jonas learns about snow and we also learn about snow. So I also liked the graphic novel version because it does the same. It starts out black and white and then color slowly brought in as he receives certain memories, which again, that's just amazing craft. Nice. My one issue with this book besides the series and how they don't connect at all. Sorry. (laughs) Just really don't. They really, really don't. I loved the first book and so I wanted to read all the rest and they just didn't do anything for me. Yeah. 
I feel like I could really benefit from sitting down with the author and I wouldn't tell her, I wouldn't tell anyone what I learned. I would keep it all to myself. Except us, right? You tell us. Yes, I would tell you guys and everyone who listens. So no one in the world, (laughs) except for anyone that knows and cares about things that I talk about. But so many questions could be answered. Like what connects the four books and what happened at the end of The Giver? I'm not going to share anything, but it was really upsetting. And I've been researching for years trying to figure out what happened and no one will tell me anything. There is very much an argument for both sides of what happened. Because there's only two ways that it can happen. Like there are are two ways that it could have happened, that it could have ended. Mm -hmm. And there are arguments that can be made for both. And they're good arguments too. Yeah, they're valid arguments. And then there's the argument of we should know versus we shouldn't know. Yeah. And those are also good arguments. Yeah. But I would really like to sit down with Lois Lowry and not share the information that I learned, (laughs) except with a select, you know, thousand people. So the next book. We feel good about that. (laughs) The next book that I chose is Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And this was discussed in the introduction. It was first published in 1953. And since then, there have been a lot of reprints. One that came out a couple years ago, I think it was like two years ago. I was still teaching. So maybe three years ago was a heat activated book. So cool. I know, but it's $451. Of course it is. Yep. I know it makes sense. Why can't it be $4.51? Right. Like you could, you could still have that price and make it more affordable. Yeah. Because art. So the premise of this book is goes with fire. So having a heat activated book is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's I think. so cool. Well, so hot. So lukewarm. Good know. one. Good Thank one. you. I liked it. I just couldn't figure out the appropriate <laughs> response to that. I liked it, but I still, you still got the laugh you got. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it, yeah. We're yeah. so punny. That's me. <laughs> yep. Uh, many film movie adaptations have been made, but I honestly don't think I've seen any of them. I haven't either. Interesting. I know there's been a lot of buzz about them, but I've never actually watched one. No, not a single one. Uh -uh. And there have been a lot. Yeah. Now I want to know why neither of us. Nia, have you? No, I haven't seen them. I actually haven't read this book either. It's on my to read list, but I haven't read this one yet. I know one of the last time I know it was burned in the seventies in an incinerator in North Dakota because the school board didn't like it. Which is, you know, just furthers the idea of the book. Honestly, it does. So let's talk about the book. Let's do. Uh, the whole premise of the book is that our main character, Guy Montag, is a fireman, but his job is to set fires, not stop them. And he's specifically setting fires to destroy books and the homes or buildings in which they are housed. The people of this world don't read. They watch television all day and see the written word as dangerous. Uh, his wife spends all of her time watching TV and believes she's at the point where she believes that the people on screen are real. And that's the only thing happening in the world because that's what she does all day. They are the characters in her life and are very important to her. One of the most impactful scenes in the book is when Montag sets fire to a house and the woman who lives there refuses to leave. She chooses to go down with her books. And as he's wondering about this, the event of the woman burning with her books, there's a quote that says, there must be something in books, something we can't imagine to make a woman stay in a burning house. There must be something there. You don't stay for nothing. At the beginning of the book, he talks with his neighbor Clarice and he begins to question everything that he's doing. And their meeting isn't even very long. It's only a couple covers, what, three pages? Ages, his meeting with his neighbor. It's not very long, but it's enough to spark a fire within him and try to figure out what oh, he's doing. Fire. I know. See, I can do it too. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's enough well to done. make him question what his role is in all of this. And like with the woman burning with her books, starts to think there has to be something there. You don't just die for nothing. Uh, the reason that I like Fahrenheit 451 so much is because this one is one where the story is possible. Like you said, Nia, that this was burned in the 1970s. Is that right? Yep. yep. In North Dakota. Yeah. I put this one with 1984 by George Orwell, mm -hmm. that both of them could happen. Yeah, very much. And it wouldn't be that far off. They both happen in the not too distant future. There's really no, not much of, I mean, 1984, but beyond that, there really isn't much of a timeline given. Sure. It would all be based on the decisions made today. So some of the dystopian novels are based on climate change or, you know, resource scarcity. And these ones are based on small choices that were made and people ignore the small choices. And you can almost see things like this happening now where people are following mm -hmm. particular news networks rather than doing any kind of independent research or verifying anything else. Right. Uh -huh. We're already kind of seeing these trends and it's a little disturbing. It is. And I'm thankful for these books because they show what life could become and yeah. It, yeah. they kind of become a, a basis for why we shouldn't let it become that. Mm -hmm. Why we should fight for a better Why future. we should fight, yeah. And people especially use 1984 for that reason. Even if yeah. people haven't read the book, they know the idea. Yeah, so 100%. I taught this book to 10th graders. And my only issue with it was that it was the first time I'd ever read Fahrenheit 451. I love the book. Don't get me wrong. It's amazing. But I really thought something different was going to go on between Clarice and Guy Montag. <laughs> like, I got Probably really from worried all the YA. because, yeah, because I read so much YA and yeah. Because books have changed between 1953 and now. And did I you thought, think there was going to be some heat? I did. And oh. I thought that is not okay. Partly because you're such a good jokester. I know. <laughs> That's three. We've made three fire jokes with this book. I mean, we could keep going. We could. We could. We could just let them keep burning. We all could the way keep through. fanning the flame. Just fan that flame. All There's the way five. Through. But I really thought there was going to be some sort of inappropriate relationship there. And I thought, I can't, I can't do that. Because there's so many TV shows now that have the teacher student relationship that Bleh. I know, I know. Yeah. I, mm, nope. And I thought, I don't know if I can keep reading this. And I had 10th graders asking me, is this school appropriate? And they said, yes, without actually knowing. And I thought, it's got to be if it's on the curriculum list, it has to be. But I was really glad when what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. Like everyone ends up okay with, I mean, in there's relationship no YA to twist, there's no yeah. YA twist. No, mm -mm. nope, nope, nope. Nice. Clarice really just serves one purpose. And that is to make Montag question what he's doing. That's it. And that's okay. So that's Fahrenheit 451. Nice. So the last one that I have is the Gracier by Kim Lijet. This one was published in 2019 and it was a YA LSA teens top 10 award winner in 2020. And that is the Young Adult Library Services Association. The Grace Year is a lot like the Maze Runner. If you read the Maze Runner, this would be a really good companion book, but it's with a group of all young women. So in the Maze Runner, you've got a group of mostly young men who are put in this situation. And in the Grace Year, it's all young women. In this world, when the girls turn 16, get ready for this. I'm ready for all the shock and awe. I'm ready. Are taken to the woods for a year to get rid of their magic. Quote magic. The girls okay. have been told all of their lives that when they turn 16, they have a magic that will lure men away and drive the other woman mad with jealousy. So they're sent away to banish this magic. Okay. What? I know. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. And while they are in the woods, so while they're gone for this year, 
They're told to be careful because wild men will try to capture them and sell them on the black market. At one point, they are told that their skin is an aphrodisiac. And so wild men will steal them for their body parts. I'm so disturbed right now. I know. I know. This is icky. It really is. super icky. And then not all of the girls return alive, but those that do are physically and emotionally scarred and docile, ready for marriage. I I I know. I know. I feel like this is an emotional equivalent of like genital mutilation. Yeah. I really do. This is icky. Yeah. Yeah. It is is a horrible, horrible world. It is so frustrating. It is so frustrating. When you start the book, you think how could they have possibly gotten here yeah yeah that's how I feel about Handmaid's Tale yeah I kind of put this with Handmaid's Tale yeah I've never read Handmaid's Tale but from what I understand but the fact that this is a YA book I makes it makes it not icky right yeah not okay so before the girls go off on their grace year they are betrothed to someone like in the Hunger Games, it's kind of a competition and the prettiest girls get betrothed and those that don't just go. And then when they come back, they hate all of the other women because of what happened while they were in the woods. And so they just I'm don't sure. have women friends after this because of, you know, all the things that happened. So what I liked about this book, I know the beginning is terrible, but the book is really good. Like, <laughs> I promise I, it's really good. It doesn't sound great. So give us a good reason to like this book. So what I liked about it is how the girls start to buck the system okay, okay, and how they start to question this tradition that is based on zero research, zero research. It's just one person decided once upon a time that because their husband felt this way, it must be because of this and this and this and this and this and built up to this awful, awful world for these girls. There's no, there's absolutely no reason for the girls to hate each other and fight and kill each other in the woods. Even when they go off, there's no reason other than what they've been told their entire lives. And it was the society that was causing them to hate each other. And just the way that they figure it all out and start to work together is just really, really, really well done this feels like dystopian mean girls that's a good way to think about it yeah 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 okay yeah yeah sure Mm. yeah I didn't think about that but yeah I'll take it and at the end of the book I'm not going to spoil it because I can't but at the end there is this almost an are you kidding me moment like when it all comes together it just really makes you think what was wrong with that society that this is what happened it is it's not a huge spoiler but it's like, come on, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. That's what all this was about. How did no one do any research? Well, that's not a hard stretch right now. It's not. No, it's not. <laughs> and then once um, once the big reveal happens, the society crumbles. It crumbles because it was built on such a false reality that it all just comes crumbling down. And that's nice to see. Now, is this a single book or is this a series? This is a single book. Okay. And is, it, the, is the ending satisfying? It is because the society crumbles because everything okay. you're frustrated about at the beginning is gone by the end. Okay. And you hate the society so much in the beginning that it's very satisfying at the end mm-hmm. that they realize their stupidity. It okay. is labeled as young adult, but I would not want my young 12 year old reading this book. I would, I wouldn't give it to her until she was like a junior or a senior in high school or beyond, because I don't think she would like the story. I just don't think she would enjoy it. And I don't think she would really understand it. That's fair. Like Makes I'm sense. not, I'm not for censoring, read what you want to read, but I just think she wouldn't like it and wouldn't get it. But if so she picked I it up on this, her own, you'd be yeah, okay. If she it. picked it up yeah. on her own, fine. I mean, the cover is really pretty too. <laughs> but when I see this at the schools in a freshman classroom, I think, I bet no one's checked that one out. I bet it's been sitting there for two years, just sitting. Languishing on the shelf. 
Yeah. And it's pretty okay. pink cover. So yeah, that's the grace here. I really liked it. It was gruesome kind of, but it's just nice to read about girl power sometimes. All right. Rock on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Nia, what are you reading now or picking up next? I'm going to finish Blackfish City. That is, that is my goal because I'm so close and I have to know how it ends. You're so close. Right. And the narrator is so good. I love that. Mm-hmm. Sydney, what are you going to be picking up next? So I'm still staring at a map of days by Ransom Riggs. Um, I talked about thinking about picking it up with our last chapter and I'm still staring at it. I haven't done it yet. It's still untouched. It could happen. Uh, it could. It could. But I'm going to be picking up the Templars again. I'm really close to finishing. I only have two and a half hours left in the audiobook and it's like a 21 hour audiobook. So I'm I'm really close. So finishing that is my current goal. Annie, what about you? I'm also still working on my book. I'm working on The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. I have a paper copy and not a lot of time to read paper copies because there are tiny grabby hands at my house. So although it's only, I think 200 pages, it's going to take me a good long while and I can't get it on audio. For some reason, my library doesn't have a copy on audio or ebook. I know. Can you request it? Probably. That might be a good way I should do that. But yeah. If nothing else, it'll be there for next time. I've got a couple I'm waiting True. as audio because I I can't like I have the print copy for Blackfish yeah. City. Yeah, it's we where I left it because I if do, I can read nice on my note. phone, I get these books done in a week. But if I'm reading hard copy, it takes me a month. Hey, we do. We do. I have none of those excuses. I have a quiet house with no tiny grabby hands. That's okay. I just I end up sometimes taking on too many projects, and you just find another excuse. There's always just another yeah. excuse. Mm-hmm. It's all good. It happens. That's how we end up with untouched stacks, right? It's true. That was a good untouched stack. This is good dystopian stack yeah friends thank you for listening to this chapter of the book stack as we sign off we'd like to leave you with some food for thought and we'll see you next time when we bring out some books about space to share from our stacks remember you can follow us on twitter at bookstack trio and follow us at bookstack trio on instagram and facebook to see a full listing of the books mentioned in our stack if you read a book from the stack let us know what you thought on social media you can also find us on our website at bookstacktrio.com without words without writing and without books There would be no history. There could be no concept of humanity. Herman Hess.